You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. What's up, universe? Jose Young's back here with another episode of the A-Side on MMA Fighting. Sorry we're three minutes late. Uh, as always, whenever we are late, it's usually because of one man, and he has returned to us. Pizza Carroll, what happened this time? I don't know. Every time I try to start this show and I turn on my camera, it doesn't work. So then I have to turn off my whole computer and then eventually we can get started. That's the, it's 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 a good omen, I feel, at this stage. Right. If it didn't happen, something would happen during our actual live broadcast. So in tradition, PC Carroll is back. I know you've demanded it last week. Uriah Faber was on. That was a very insightful Who's he? episode. Was he a new guy from myfighting.com? Did you, did um, you swear, swear someone? Yeah, it was like a tryout for him. He was like this hot up-and-coming writer, and I figure we give him a little bit of a spotlight. I don't think he's ever really been in front of that many people at once. Oh. So we thought you could tell. Him. You could tell. You could tell. He was. Yeah. I, I honestly don't think he knows anything about MMA. Like that's what I was feeling when I was watching. I was like, who is this imposter? Right. You know, he's just. How would I put this? Uh, he's not quite me. That's what I'd say. Not yeah. quite me. I, I didn't want to say those words, but not Pete Carroll is the biggest knock anyone could have on the A side, including myself, apparently. But we're back. <laughs> Pete is here. Uh, you've demanded it. So I'm always down to have Pete on. So without further ado, Pete, let's dive into these questions. You're with your favorite people, the MMA oh. fighting commenters. All the, those people last time talking mad shit like they were going to do something to me. Not one person has approached me. I like fighting. Come on, and approach me. If you see me in the street in Dublin and you don't fight me, I'm going to be disappointed. How many so people on. How many people commented back after your little rant against them? Uh, I, I think a, a couple of people were a little bit upset with me. But, you know, that's what we, we have. The, we, the Our sport is full of the biggest crying fan base of all time. They never stop whinging about everything so i mean it was to be expected and you've only reinforced my uh my belief that you're all a bunch of losers anyway so whoa thanks very much wow and before yeah. i start before we start pt i must say your hair is on point this time is it yeah i was actually a bit worried because i'm only out <laughs> of the shower and i was like the volume could be the volume could be a bit crazy here today it's uh it's pretty tall your hair's looking pretty tall today <laughs> is it? yeah <laughs> okay ah yes yes i need to just do a buzz cut i think at this stage hey Try it, man. Only one way to find out. But first question from Milo of Croton, Milo of Croton. I can't, still can't pronounce that. I'm sorry. But boring goats. Hi, guys. It seems every week there's a new discussion over who is the greatest of all time, and it's getting boring. It's no fun to speculate on when it gets discussed every single <laughs> week. And I say that because he puts periods between all these words. Why does the goat conversation dominate the media? Do you guys, the media, even enjoy talking about this every week? Thanks. So, yeah, you see two pretty happen. Max Holloway beat Frankie Edgar in Edmonton. And right away, some of the first questions were, are you the now the greatest featherweight of all time? I assume that's where this question is coming from. Uh, also, BJ Penn was in the headlines again. I'm sure we'll get questions about that. He was long time considered one of, if not the best fighters on the planet during his heyday. But greatest of all time conversations. Where do you stand on it? Do you enjoy this conversation? I'm not asking who you think is the greatest, but it does seem every time there's a big pay-per-view, this conversation comes up whether it's a how far along, how far away are you this fighter A from reaching the goat status or are you the goat or has someone superseded the goat? Your thoughts on this quote-unquote goat conversation of MMA? It's it's just a matter of opinion. Like I mean, it doesn't. It's very hard to solidify anything with that kind of stuff. And I mean, yeah, it happens after after every event. I don't even feel like it has to be a big pay per view event. We're talking about someone being the somethingest ever every time. Like so, yeah, I'm tired of it. Uh, like I understand why people are talking about it to a certain extent because Frankie's a champion. He's been a perennial contender at, at featherweight, and then Max, of course. Um, you know, who's who's probably been, you know, under-celebrated by our sport, I really think, because he's that good. But, um, you know, it's expected. How do I feel about it? I hate it. Um, but it's it's part of it, isn't it? Like, you, you can you can nearly feel it coming after all of these events. Once there's a title on the line, we're going to be talking about some being the greatest. It's just the way it is. Yeah, and this was really none more evident than UFC 239, which was two pay-per-views ago when John Jones and Amanda Nunes both fought mm. on the very same card. And every single question to John Jones was, um, how does it feel to A, be fighting on another card with the greatest female of all time? Because many people consider you being the greatest uh, fighter in general of all time. But that changes quite frequently. I remember when Fedor Melianenko was considered the greatest fighter of all time. And then that 
stopped abruptly when he lost to Verdum. I mean, one mm. loss dropped him from that conversation at the time. I didn't obviously agree with it. I still consider him the greatest heavyweight of all time. Uh, maybe not the all-time greatest fighter. I think George St. Pierre is the greatest fighter, in my opinion. I think John Jones. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think GSP is the consensus for me. I don't. I, you know, it's very hard to argue with George St. Pierre being the greatest fighter ever. I guess. Yeah, and, and then, look at us. We're having it. We're having the greatest <laughs> of all time debate now. Look, that's how quickly it happens. You don't I, even I, mean for it to happen. Right. It just every time this this conversation comes up, it always escalates into who do you consider the greatest fighter of all time? I know a lot of people still consider John Jones the greatest. I think Demetrius Johnson doesn't get enough conversation uh, mm. in that argument, especially now that he's not in the UFC. Uh, there's a lot of these fight fans that if you're not in, if you're you're out of sight, out of mind, where if you're not, if they're not seeing you on ESPN or fighting in, for the UFC championship, you can't really be considered the greatest. Uh, but he does have the record for most title defenses, and the man he beat, Anderson Silva, who many considered the goat at the time, had that record. So I think Demetrius Johnson doesn't get a fair shake, especially in this era of champ champ. He never really mm. did that. He just wanted to dominate his weight class, but. Uh, there's like I, it's usually the same top five, top four, but I do get a little tired of it uh, every single week. Um, I'm just wondering, actually, Jose, do, do you know the way like uh, you go American sports, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if someone like, say, a baseball player uh, or a basketball player or an NFL player, they they piss hot. They they fail a test. Are they immediately excluded from the greatest of all time conversation or did, are they still there? Because that's that like I often think that with, with Jones and stuff like this, you know what I mean? That's a really good conversation uh, question, uh, it, especially in baseball, where m that is, I think, one of the most highly debated conversation over who the greatest baseball player is of all time, only because baseball has been around for 100 years. So players that played in the early 1900s, how would they compare to players playing in like 2019? It's a very different game, uh, mm -hmm. especially like ballparks are different. Pitching is different and all that stuff. But Barry Bonds who many consider to be the greatest player of all time. He has the all-time record in home runs. I think he has the all-time record in walks, maybe, and single-season home runs and all this. But he famously failed. A, a, or he, he tested positive for banned substances, and that's pretty much tarnished his whole career. He's not even in the Hall of Fame. He has mm. all of these records, and he's not he, the uh, the media isn't voting him the Hall of Fame a because he might have had a little prickly uh, reputation with the media as being a little standoffish. So now that they have to vote him in, it's kind of getting back at him. And there's debates whether they should put an asterisk next to his name in all of the record books, considering he failed the drug test. So that that question is actually very prevalent in baseball, where Barry Bonds, if he was clean. There's a very strong argument. He's the greatest baseball player of all time. I believe uh, Alex Kaylee on our site, we, me and him were having this conversation. He considers Barry Bonds the greatest player of all time, even though he did take steroids because at that well, time... Alex is a known steroid user. That's Come true. On. That's very Jesus true. Christ. It's ridiculous. But, but during Barry Bonds' run, uh, I don't want to say everyone, but a, a good chunk of baseball players were taking banned substances. So if, he, if you compare him to his contemporaries, it's not like he had this massive advantage. It's just... He physically grew too. You saw him go from like this scrawny baseball player to this very muscular player, and all of a sudden like he's me? breaking all the records. Yeah, hundred percent. I think what I think you gained what like a hundred pounds since you joined MMA fighting. All, all natural, all natural as well. Yeah, all natural, lean muscle, lean muscle. Yeah. But what's your what do you think about that? Uh, should should fighters tied to banned substances be can, be in the goat conversation? I don't know how I feel about. It. That's why I asked you. Like, I mean, I, I feel like the re one of the reasons why GSP. I, I feel like he is the best guy is because he's never had any of these kind of incidents in his past. You know, I feel like that's kind of important. And, um, you know, the, he, that's, that's the reason for me why I've always pushed him to the top of the, uh, to the top of the pile. But like, we look at John Jones, an incredible fighter. He, he's brilliant and he's, he's right up there and he, he could be number one on that list if it wasn't for these series of issues he's had. And I think for me anyway, it does factor into it. Um, and even Anderson Silva is a massive Anderson Silva fan back in the day. And, you know, it, I, I just don't see him there, even at the, the peak of his career. I think it's even though I thought he was the greatest of all time back then, it's very hard to now after the subsequent failures, you know? Yeah, I do think it, George not testing positive does kind of cement him at the top. And he did the two weight class thing. I mean, he had, he, yeah. he did have two title fights uh, he, or two two belts. And he's won. He's he's every loss he's had. He's avenged. So I think to me, it's a no brainer, but it's 
I, you you see how fickle fans can get. If George had lost to Michael Bisping, he probably would have fallen out of the top five in a lot of fans' minds. It's it's very fickle of. But I I with this comment specifically, I do get a little burnt out of talking. Yes, who is the greatest player? Player who is the greatest fighter of all time? Because it is subjective. Uh, in Amanda Nunes, people consider her the greatest female fighter of all time. When did that turn into when is she just the greatest fighter in general of all time? That's yeah. That's another conversation uh, for down Remember the road. Remember BJ Penn used to be think thought of was one of the greatest fighters of all time? How yeah. how long does a conversation about BJ Penn last in this day and age before you get to, oh, and he was one of the greatest fighters of all time? That's the problem with what's going on with him there, but I'm sure we'll get to that later. Yeah, and just quickly on that one, I, Alex and I talked about this on, on the post show at UFC 240. I still kind of put... BJ Penn is the greatest lightweight of all time, kind of by default, just because there's not been a lot of long reigning champions there in yes. that weight class. Like, I think the win if Habib fights Tony, I think the winner of that should be considered the greatest lightweight of all time. But at the moment, I think BJ Penn is still the greatest lightweight who's ever stepped inside the octagon. But that's a, another conversation uh, for down the road. All right, moving on from LFMWA thoughts on normalizing Dana damaging fighters' brands. Title says it all. Just figure I'd ask. A general question based on the coverage of Cyborg entering free agency. So it was only a matter of time before we talked about Cyborg free agency. I'm sure you watched the post-fight press conference. I'm sure you watched all of the media leading up to e – I'll even go back to UFC 239 with the Amanda Nunes fight. Dana White kind of dragged Chris Cyborg through the mud where he said Chris Cyborg doesn't want the rematch. Uh, Chris Cyborg doesn't want to fight Amanda Nunes. She wants easier fights outside of the UFC, this and that. And Chris Cyborg is basically responding to him every chance she gets. She's putting out her own YouTube video. She's putting out her own tweet saying, I asked for the rematch. But I think it's it's no secret that this was her last fight in a contract. I'm sure the UFC offered her, if, well, if you want the rematch, sign a new contract. She didn't like that contract, so she didn't get the immediate rematch. It has nothing to do with not wanting to fight Nunes. It's, it has everything to do with wanting a good deal, like a better, a mm. fair shake. Uh, because... If Dana White said, like, I'm sure you heard too, Dana White says, Chris Cyborg can sign a one-fight contract and fight Amanda Nunes next and get the rematch. But if she wins, it's not like they're going to let her walk away with the belt. As a champion, she would have to continue defending her title, like championship clause. Of course. I'm sure she saw exactly what they were trying to do, didn't play their game, and Dana White famously does not like fighters who don't play his, play his game and play into his uh, contract game. So... Uh, yeah, what do you think of Dana White? Like, as Chris Cyborg said, bullying. She brought up the term bullying. She says mm -hmm. kids in her daughter's school actually make fun of her for what they people are saying about her mom. And her daughter's almost got in fights in school over what kids are saying about her. So uh, your thoughts on, on this whole Dana White versus Chris Cyborg uh, feuds? I'm going to date it back to the, the Amanda Nunes loss because I think that's really when it's kind of come back to the forefront. Well, like, when did he make the comments about her, you know, about her, you know, being looking like Vandalay Silva? Was was she even signed to the UFC then? Like, I mean, no, that was that, so long ago. That was UFC 172. Uh, that was the song before John Jones versus Glover to share. And that's right around when they were trying to get uh, Chris. The Chris versus Ronda fight was yeah. still Cyborg versus Ronda Rousey fight was still in the forefront. And they wanted Chris to drop to 135, which he couldn't do. And then Ronda Rousey kept bringing up failed drug tests and. Dana White said she looked like Vanderlei Silva in a dress and then stood up and walked around. It's crazy. When media. you see that footage, it's insane. Like you're going, is this for real? Like, is this, is this for, this is the billion dollar industry. This is the, the head guy. It's insane. Um, and she's been completely disrespected. One of the greatest fighters of all time, Chris Soyborg. And, you know, I feel as though she's definitely being disrespected. You know, she clearly wants this fight. And then uh, I can remember Jed, on Monday morning, the morning report, he puts out like Dana White says Chris Cyborg might want easier fights. And I could just see in the comments, she was wearing a t shirt that said Cyborg v. Nunes too, January 2020. Um, it's ridiculous, it doesn't make any sense. Um, oh, like, I mean, I heard um, her interview with Ariel Awani yesterday uh, on Monday as well, and the stuff that she's saying about like you know, compensating her for flights for situations is crazy. Like, I mean, it, it's just very unrealistic to me um that she signs with them again you know with all this disrespect like when you know someone like coker would be would roll out the red carpet for one of the greatest fighters of the world like all of these people would uh bellator uh one championship rising 
all of these people are going to want her. Like, she's going to be a really, like, one of the biggest free agents of all time in the sport, probably. And, um, you know, she, I, I think she said she has a three month window where she can kind of deliberate what's going on. And it just seems like to me they're way too far apart. Like, they're, they need to be singing off a similar hymn sheet. And it, it doesn't seem to be anywhere in the same ballpark. Like, one's the polar opposite of the other. And if I'm Chris Cyborg, I, I completely understand where she's coming from. Like, I mean, she's being disrespected at this stage. There's no doubt about it. And maybe it is time to just end it, you know? Like, maybe it is. Like, I mean, if you've been consistently disrespected to the level that she has, maybe it's just time to go. Yeah, and I believe it's 90 days. So, yeah, about three months. But Chris is... I can until she lost to Amanda Nunes, and we're going to go right back to this conversation. I had Chris as the greatest female fighter of all time. Same, I think Amanda, same. I think Amanda Nunes has kind of leapfrogged her, especially after knocking her out and knocking Holly Holm out in the first round. So uh, I consider Amanda the greatest, but Chris Cyborg is right there, number two. And if Chris Cyborg gets her rematch, beats Amanda Nunes, and they have a trilogy, and she beats Amanda Nunes again, and she's now the UFC featherweight champion with two wins over Amanda Nunes, she's the greatest. She's right there again. So I agree with you 100%. I didn't I was trying to think of who the the last big free agent in MMA and I think Ariel brought up it was Dan Henderson when he his contracts ended and he went to Strike Force and I tend to agree with that. I remember when Dan Henderson signed with Strike Force it seems like a really big deal, a big power move by Strike Force to take this uh, top contender over from away from the UFC and I I tend to agree that Chris Cyborg is going to be one of the biggest free agents in MMA in the last 10 or 15 years, especially as a female fighter. And she really, really understands her brand. I don't know if you watch the uh, UFC open workouts, the UFC 240 open workouts. She didn't do a Q&A. She didn't do an open workout. Instead, her and her coach and her teammates were throwing flyers into the crowd promoting her after party and her watch party and plugging all of her social media. And then she went out into the crowd and spent the 30 minutes taking selfies with everyone, everyone there. So she, and then we interviewed her at media day and all she kept bringing up was the fans will decide where I fight next. So she understands her brand. She wants, she understands that her brand takes precedent over the, over just the UFC brand. And you know Dana White doesn't like that. He wants those three letters to be import, more important than anything else. So uh, Chris Cyborg, doesn't want to play Dana's game, and I think she's one of those few fighters that doesn't have to. Because, like, you brought up Scott Coker, which I think is awesome, because they have a great history. Julia Budd's there. I think that's an awesome fight. Uh, just a, That's an awesome martial arts fight. And she said Bellator's featherweight division is better than the UFC. How many featherweights are even in the UFC? Female fight? Featherweights are in the UFC. Three? Well, yeah, I was I was talking about this your day. Like, I mean, if they're if they're gonna get rid of Cyborg, you may as well get rid of the division. That you made the division for Cyborg. Let's be honest. Like, there was, that's what this was about. And um Amanda Nunes has, you know, taken all the bounty really from that situation and fair play to her. But you know, do you really have interest in growing the featherweight division? You need the biggest name in featherweight fighting uh in it and that's chris cyborg like i mean i know amanda's the greatest fighter of all time that's how we view her now but if you're talking about star power i'd still say chris cyborg is, is a bigger name well abso absolutely i mean she yeah fight in, uh, pretty blatantly like yeah she could fight in the united states she's a big deal she could fight in brazil she's a huge deal uh she ha she did her camp in africa i mean did you see that video that ariel put out of when she when she won i guess she she was helping like it was like, uh, I don't know if it was a charity or she helped build a school or a playground or something. I'm not 100% on what she did, but there's all these kids in Africa jumping up and down, like celebrating she won. So she's a superstar no matter where she goes. Look, so and, and look, I can remember I went the first time, I, the first and only time I think I saw Chris Cyborg fight live was in that incredible uh, international fight week back in the day, uh, 2015. I think Thursday was Invicta, yeah. Friday was Frankie Edgar v. Chad Mendez, and then Saturday was Connor and Mendez, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, yes, and they also had the Paige Van Zandt versus Rose card that yes. week. Yeah, it was insane. And I can remember that week, all the Irish press outside of the Connor fight, of course, and there was a lot of Irish fighters on the UFC card. I can remember us all so excited to see Chris Cyborg. Like that was that was nearly that was bigger than the other UFC event that was uh going down the next day and it was it was huge i can remember media members running over to see her just walking in because she was that big of a celebrity that big of a, a name in the fight game and you know that wouldn't change i'm sure I'd just i'd be every bit as excited to watch chris cyborg fight again so i don't understand it i feel like 
there's a lot of a lot of parts of this that we probably don't know about because it just doesn't make sense for them to be so far away from each other in this negotiation. It's a bit stupid, you know. Like she, the, the girl's wearing a uh, a Nunez v Cyborg t-shirt, and then the first thing Dana White says is she's looking for easier fights. You think Julia Budd's an easier fight? No, oh my God, yeah, not at all. See what she did to Olga Rubin? Jesus Christ! Yeah. So if I have to ask you, gun to your head, does Chris Cyborg re-sign with the UFC? No. You, yeah, I don't think she does. I think why she, would it? Why would she? I I can't find a reason. Yeah. I can't yeah. find a reason. If I had to bet, I'd I'd, I'd say she'd re reunite with Scott Coker over in Bellator. But she said she would test the field, and if the UFC comes with a good good deal somehow, and she wants to do it, I would love to see Chris versus Amanda Nunes. I that it would just bum me out if we never got that rematch. I feel the same way about Conor and Aldo. Mm -hmm. I would love to see that rematch just because the fight is so fast, mm -hmm. and I would like to see how like not even a whole one whole round would go, but it would really bum me out if we never got that rematch against what the two greatest female fighters of all time. Yeah, yeah, like I mean, like we're talking about Bellator, but I could see Ryzen putting an awful lot of money down for someone like Cyborg as well. Like you know, it, it, she could be a huge deal over there. Um, you know, they've they've pretty thriving um women's divisions over there as well, but maybe not at that that size at featherweight. But I'm sure they could make a spectacle out of Cyborg. She's she is a walking yeah. spectacle in fairness, you know. I mean, her good friend Gabby Garcia fights there, so she she yeah. had she knows how that that operation runs. But we could talk about Chris Cyborg for an entire an entire A-side episode. So we're going to move on. All right. So I, I think this would be a good one for you, PT, because you do watch Long Championship. It is your, closer to your time zone. Hey there. From, from your friend, life is kicking my butt again. Hang in there. Oh, you true, man. Come on. Don't let these <laughs> bastards drag you down. He must be reading the comment section too. <laughs> oh, God. Or or her. Could be a female. We don't yeah. know. Yeah, whichever. Just come on. Keep, keep them up and keep the chin down. Stay positive, everyone. <laughs> Hi there. I hope you're having a great day. What is your prediction for how Muddy Mouse will do in one? I know there's a little there's little information to go on, but I trust your competence and professionalism in all things MMA, and I'm sure you will answer your answer will enlighten enlighten me. No sarcasms. Pizzi. Yes. You've all won championship. I watched one championship. Demetrius, we talked about him a little while ago in the GOAT conversation. Uh, how do you think he'll fare in one championship? Is it only a matter of time before he has one championship gold wrapped around his waist. Yeah, well, I think he's he's the greatest lighterweight fighter we have, you know, like in the whole sport. So I, I do feel like that will happen. But the one championship situation brings about a few different situations. I mean, why do all the guys that go from UFC to one championship look way smaller than the guys that they're fighting on one championship? Like, you I mean, it's notable. <laughs> it's notable. And, you know, we have no transparency from one championship about their billions of viewers or about their groundbreaking weight weight cutting protocol. Um, I, I think uh, when Luke was doing the MMA, or he asked Gary Tonin about it, right? And he didn't have a clue what, what the situation was. I didn't don't think he got to see his opponent weighing in. I mean, look, they they pat themselves on the back all the time about how great they are, and they give us absolutely pretty much no transparency about it. Um, do I think Demetrius Johnson is the best fighter in one championship? Yes, absolutely. Um, does that mean he will win? The title, it should, but this bar is insane. It, there's just too many things going on. I, I do think he will win the belt, um, but I, I just won championship. I'm a bit weird about them, to be honest. I don't disagree with you. And I remember when Danny Segura was on, we, we had this exact conversation. Their weigh-in situation is real, real funky, where you don't get to see the early morning weigh-ins. You don't get to see the, the, the your opponent doesn't get to see. You don't get to see your opponent weigh in, all this. So... Uh, whether these American fighters going over are a little too trusting, maybe they're used to the UFC where they just yeah. assume everyone is following the rules. But Demetrius Johnson, like you you said, is I think still the greatest lighter weight fighter of all time. I know he lost to Henry Cejudos, and they did he though? Did he though? Well, I mean, <laughs> he lost on he lost on paper. We lost yeah, on yeah, paper. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I don't I think just, it was like, a robbery. I'm just looking the old conspiracy theory. Everybody's right. got the the thing. He never lost. So sure. Uh, but the L's there. Uh, he, we're probably not going to see a trilogy ever, uh, especially if Henry Cejudo is kind of hinting at how he doesn't want to do this much longer. But the L was there. I still consider him maybe 1A, 1B with Henry Cejudo. But maybe he was good at bantamweight. The only losses he really had were to Dominic Cruz. I only lost to Brad Pickett. He never got that one back. But he lost to Cruz, who 
A lot of people consider the greatest bantamweight of all time. Why, why aren't we saying Brad Pickett's the greatest of all time? That's what I want to know. Yeah, that's very fair. That's very, very fair. Does that make Ian McCall like one of the greatest flyweights of all time? Yes, it, it does. See, yeah. see what happens? Spoils out of control quickly, doesn't it? We had this conversation with Uriah Faber last week about MMA. You, you're right, Uriah Faber, that young, oh, the new upstart. guy, the new guy. Oh yeah, yeah, cool, yeah cool. that young writing upstart who I think will have a bright future in the MMA world. <laughs> Not too sure about that. Not too sure about that, mate. Right. So soon, someday he'll make his MMA debut. Um, but Demetrius Johnson, I still think should win that tournament, um, even though he might be undersized compared to everyone. I just think he's so he's such a high level martial artist that. And he, he trains so smart, and his coach Matt Hume is is such a genius when putting together game plans. I really I expect him to win, but that's no easy task considering he might be fighting guys what one or two weight classes above him. Absolutely, and sure, if he doesn't win, one might just magically change the decision, so they have to do it again, like they did with their uh, kickbox, the recent kickboxing bout. So I mean, there's another reason why I can't trust these guys. Am I entertained by them? Absolutely. But that's these are two different questions. <laughs> and isn't isn't Eddie Alvarez back in the tournament? Like, yes. first, yeah. So who who knows? Maybe he loses, and then that opponent can't his his old opponent can't fight, and then he's back in the tournament. So who knows? Do I expect never Yes. The never stops with one championship, lads. Keeping us on our toes. Do I expect Demetrius Johnson to win the tournament? Yes. Will it's not, but it's not going to be easy. No. Absolutely. It's gonna. It's 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 exceedingly hard. But moving on because we have a question from our very good friend Lodovic. Any buzz for Nate Diaz versus Anthony Pettis? Yes. Hi, guys. Oh, there you go. Hi, guys. Maybe I'm wrong, but judging by the small amount of buzz for Nate Diaz's return, it seems like nobody even believes the fight will happen. Oh, man, I have a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> Nate's side seems to be completely silent, and the only thing from Team Pettis, if I remember, was Duke Roof saying he'll be, a, he'll be a homie for his camp a few months back. I don't know what. I don't know what that means. That's it. Is this fight still on? Do you believe Nate Diaz will show up? If so, how do you see the fight going and what do you think is next for the fighters, depending on the outcome, of course? Thanks always. P.S. Jose, how did you manage to get your eye favor on who's currently working on getting Tony Ferguson and who's getting work on getting Tony Ferguson next? Well, your eye favor. You He's going to interview Tony Ferguson. I would love to have Tony Ferguson on the A side. <laughs> no, I, I, thought you, he, I thought he said your Royal favor was going to interview Tony Ferguson. I would love <laughs> to have your eye favorite interview Tony Ferguson on the A side. But I think Tony Ferguson uh, is a little preoccupied uh, to deal with this young upstart writer named Uriah Faber. But uh, P.T. Carroll, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, you said you were into it right away. I am very hyped for this fight. But do you agree it's been rather silent in the buildup mm. for this fight? I mean, yes, we see the pictures of Nate Diaz training. He looks in phenomenal shape. Anthony Pettis is always putting pictures out there of him training. But there's been no back and forth. Uh, I'm I in my mind it's a little of the last time we saw Nate in a in a fight in a fight camp. Yes, the Dustin Poirier fight fell out was before the Connor fight, and that had all of the hype in the world surrounding it. So it's just is this just a matter of the last two Nate Diaz fights have been so highly anticipated because it's the back to back Connor fights that maybe this is falling under the radar, or is it because we have that huge heavyweight title fight in the main event? Your thoughts. Yeah, I feel like it's a huge fight. I feel like anyone you say that this talk about this fight to in the MMA community is like, oh, that's going to be unbelievable. But I always cast my mind back to what you said. Um, I think I was on this podcast the week that was announced. Yep. And you were saying, um, you just don't want to jinx it. You know, you just don't want to. We, we have seen so many horrible things happen at the 11th hour in this sport. And it feels like to even suggest that Nate might not show up is jinxing it slightly of course it's on my mind i don't want to talk about it that much but the, i think the reason why it's not being hyped so much is because mma moves so quickly like jose will, will agree with me here we don't even get we're like we're having this odd oh, max holloway the greatest of all time conversation and that will be gone on monday next week that will be we'll be talking about something completely different like not to say that the argument's gone it's just that the conversation will have moved on and um, if you remember before the two connor fights um nate fought uh, michael johnson yep and and that fight didn't re until that media day where he showed up and started drawing his name on the signs and everything and saying why wasn't he on the poster that really wasn't having a crazy amount of uh, anticipation around it so then he showed up the media day came everybody was buzzing for it then he has this unbelievable performance 
So I'm, I'm kind of looking at it like that. This is going to really pick up momentum very, very quickly. I think the fight is very intriguing because Pettis has come off that great knockout of Wonderboy. We haven't seen Nate in so long. It's very hard to know what way he's going to show up. And I feel like the winner should fight Conor McGregor. Well, there you go. I'm sure people will love that. But if Nate wins, I think it's a no-brainer that I have been asking for that trilogy. I know John Cavanaugh, every time someone asks him, what do you want? If it was yeah. up to you, what would Conor do next? And his answer has always been the trilogy with Nate. So I remember on Roddy as well. Same. All the guys in the camp want that again. It brings something special out of that camp uh, and Nate's camp. I mean, I can remember I was standing outside before the second fight outside the David Copperfield Theatre with Sean Al Shaddy and Chuck Mindenhall. And I was saying, Jesus, there's no buzz for this fight at all, is there? Yeah, exactly. And hell broke, all hell broke loose. People are throwing balls and we're like, holy shit, this is huge. Yeah. So, like, it doesn't take a lot for a Nate Diaz fight to gain legs. He just has to say one thing, have a moment. It doesn't even need to be words sometimes. He just needs a moment. And then it goes insane. And let's not forget that Anthony Pettis has been poking bad blood and stuff. So I feel like their first face-off is going to be electric. I think it's going to be... I don't I don't believe that anyone really knows how, how worked up Nate could possibly be about that situation. But how many times have we seen someone talk shit about Nate Diaz and him not care? That does not happen. He, I, I believe he's going to have that in the back of his head. He's using it to motivate himself. And when those two guys see each other, everybody is going to suddenly be talking about that fight. I agree. And it seems like like you, I think you hit it on the head with the Michael Johnson fight. Nate is pretty quiet in all camp. He's just very much about his business and getting ready for camp, getting ready for his fight. But once fight week happens, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Like Michael, when he drew his name on the poster, he tried to draw a little stick figure uh, for his fight against Michael Very Johnson. accurate. Very accurate. Exactly. And then his second, his first fight was Connor. He took that fight on what, like two weeks, 11 days, whatever it was notice. So he just got thrust into it and he immediately had to do the press conference. And that first press conference was so back and forth that Nate basically became a legend after that. All of these, these, these sayings like, like that from uh, that, that first press conference and then like kind of getting into a little scuffle and then staring down. And then the second one, I think I was saying the same thing. I was in Vegas for UFC 202, and that whole week I was like, "This, there's not a lot of buzz for this. This is they're billing this as one of the most hyped fights in UFC history, and I don't see a lot of fans talking about it." But then that once that press conference started, it the the hype went through the roof, and that's all. That's still one of the most bought pay per views in UFC history. So I think once you get those two at a press conference, and we haven't seen them together yet. Once you get those two at a press conference or media day or stare down, I think that's really when the hype for Nate Diaz's uh, return uh, will will kick up because he was supposed to fight Dustin Poirier and that fell out. Maybe fans are a little jaded weather. Maybe and Nate Diaz historic. I mean, Anthony Pettis historically doesn't always stay healthy. Uh, he's missed a lot of time between fights uh, and he is going up to welterweight now, uh, so his body's not depleted. And I think you said it again perfectly. There's he's poking at Nate. He's this is not another uh, just another fight for anthony pettis these are also two guys where they'll fight anywhere like they yeah. see each other and they they one of them calls out they'll throw down in a hotel so uh i think once you get those two in a room you'll start to feel the uh the media get behind that fight for sure mm. and um yeah i feel like i feel like like i feel like the reason why it will happen is because the ufc have told them that the winner gets connor that's why i feel like it makes sense if you look at the way all of this stuff is coming together you have Dana White saying Covington gets the Kamaru Usman fight mm -hmm. if he beats Robbie Lawler. Leaves Masvidal with nobody. Leaves Leon Edwards with nobody. And then we have Pettis and Diaz. So I feel like Connor's the natural guy to take on the winner of Diaz and Pettis. And maybe Masvidal has to fight Leon to get, get a shot at the title. I'll watch all of those fights. Yeah, well, I mean, it's probably a dream scenario knowing how jumbled these things usually come together. But I, I think that's the ideal situation for me anyway. I don't think Jorge Masvidal think it's an ideal situation. Um, you know, but I think that pretty much suits everybody else in this equation apart from Masvidal. But first, for that dream scenario to happen, Colby Covington has to beat Robbie Lawler. Yes! It's not easy. Yeah, oh my God, I'm, the, I'm with you on this one. I can't believe the amount of people that just think this is a matter of Covington showing up like on Saturday no, night. Do you know what no I mean? Like way. this is gonna be like look at what Robbie Lawler did to Ben Askren. It was like a it was like a horror movie scene there for the first 20 right. seconds. 100%. And Casey Lyon, our cameraman, he when he was on the A side, we were talking about like this whole scenario, like 
uh, oh, if Dustin Poirier beats Habib, is this the greatest run in lightweight history? And he's like, hey, let's pump the brakes. Yeah. He still has to beat Habib <laughs> first. And I was like, that's fair. We're putting all these situ these hypothetical situations out there when he has to do the one thing that no one has ever been able to do, and that's beat Habib. So if Colby Covington beats Robbie Lawler, and that's a big if, give him the title shot. He's already mm -hmm. earned he's earned it more than enough. He was the interim champion. He he missed out on two opportunities. But he has to beat Robbie Lawler, which is like Former champion. Who's he lost to? Tyron Woodley tore his eight, like blew up his leg against Rafael Dos Anjos, and then controversy in the Ben Askren fight when he basically turned Ben Askren's face into hamburger meat. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's uh, let's the most intimidating person I've ever interviewed, Robbie Lawler. Yeah, face face. I mean, like, I mean, it's it, he is the realest guy in this sport. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, I know, like, there's so many real guys. Don't get me wrong, but I can remember thinking. You know, and it was that same. I think it was the Mendez fight week. He was fighting uh, McDonald, that legendary fight. Yep. And it just it was like when he was doing his open workout, it was like smoke was coming out of his nose when he was like, he was so intimidating. And he was locking eyes with me because I was right on the side of the thing. And I was genuinely shitting myself. Like, <laughs> I was like, why am I wearing these cream pants? This is not going to go well for me. Shit myself. <laughs> and then, oh, and then no. the UFC are like, oh, um, I was working for a newspaper in Ireland. So they were covering it a lot. So they were like, do you want a quick one on one with Robbie? And my hand was like this, holding up the phone. Like, yeah, no way, eh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you see the way he's fighting on Saturday. I'm like, yeah, it was that was perfectly acceptable for me to be absolutely terrified of that man. <laughs> I mean, if you watched are you the when Sean Al Shadi was interviewing him before UFC 235, he would ask like there were questions like, Oh, do you and do you not like this process of media day and stuff? He's like, he does that thing where he just like <laughs> smirks, he's like I'm just excited to fight, man. I just want to fight. That's all I care about. This is all whatever. I just can't wait to fight. And I was like, oh, man, that dude's going to punch a hole through Ben Askren's skull. And he basically yeah. did, but Ben Askren survived. But that is another conversation. Wow, we are running short on time, but we're going to pick things Sorry, up. Sorry, guys. Me no. and Jose talk some shit when we're put together. But hey, we, it, it's entertaining shit, so enjoy it. All enjoy right. It. From I am Sheila Andrea. All right, new comment. Well done, Sheila Andrea. Well done for being you. <laughs> Holloway's next title defense. Post on Twitter by MMA Media asking about this game. Glad, they asked, about this. Glad they asked about this. Yes, this is why I picked this one because I, I do have a lot of thoughts on this too. Uh, they're asking uh, asking about this get mostly UFC 243 answers. Well, that would be great for Volkanovski in the UFC. Two months seems like too short of a time for Holloway to get into another five round fight, especially considering the schedule he has kept so far. Besides, he he said he really wants to fight in Vegas. The last pay per view of UFC 2019 is going to be in Vegas, right? Correct. Uh, what about that? What do you guys think? So yes, Carol, all. Week Everyone was asking Max Holloway during the fight week, hey, if you win, is Volkanovski next? Is you 243 next? This and that. And on paper, it makes sense. Volkanovski is from Australia. The, uh, the fight is in Australia or New Zealand, that, that New Zealand-Australia area. Um, it makes sense Volkanovski would be on that. But he is, in my mind, the rightful number one contender, Featherweight. But two months is a very quick turnaround for Max Holloway, considering he fought in, what, December? Five-round title fight. Fought, what, April? Five-round title fight. And then fought July five round title fight. He, I think he went three or four rounds against Brian Ortega. He went five rounds against Poirier. Five rounds against Frankie. Now people, um, and he doesn't make. He doesn't have the easiest cut down to one forty five. Everyone mm. keeps bringing that up. He'll play it down, but he doesn't have the easiest cut. He makes it though. Fair play to him. But to turn around after three title fights in seven months and asking to drop down to one forty five might be asking a lot. Uh, the money might be right. Maybe he does it. But Max Holloway said he wants medical tests before he even thinks about taking that fight great great uh, move great move love that answer uh he's, he brought up uh the death of that the, the it's escaping me right now it's gonna really gonna bother me that boxer that died uh very recently he goes there's been some tra tragedies in the combat sports world lately i want to get checked out he was sitting up there with his son rush holloway he goes i have this guy right next to me i want to be able to walk and talk and be all right i want to be on top of this uh so matt I love that answer. I completely agree. If he's 100%, he gets cleared. He wants to do it. I would love to watch him and Volkanovski fight in Australia, but I really loved his answer about he wants to get medically checked out first before he even considers taking another fight. Yeah, and I mean, these things have a profound effect on fighters. Um, I mean, I can remember we, we uh, had a tragedy in Ireland in 2016 yeah. where Joe, Joe Carvalho died. And I can that, really, that really got into Connor's head, right? Yeah. 
Incredibly so. Um, and not just Connor, Paddy Hoolan, like I mean, I could, Neil Serio was talking to all of these legends of the of the Irish scene then, and you know, it it's this sudden thing that happened that that changed how everybody really looks at the sport in in Ireland. Uh, everybody everybody on the scene was kind of affected by what that happened that night. And the, the scene is actually still directly affected because of because of what happened to Joe that night. Um and so yeah, I thought that was a brilliant answer. But can can we just cast our minds back to when everybody was explaining away why Frankie Edgar was going to get a title shot because he gets to do this and then he gets to fight in October completely taking the toll that this takes in your body for granted and how much of a struggle this is for Max Holloway but that's how they explained it away Volkanovsky who weighs in on the Friday perfectly wouldn't be ready to fight Max Holloway at 240 we were told and then because Holloway was thrust into the situation a situation that a lot of people didn't think he was the, the, the reply to that uh, criticism was, well, it's going to be fine. He's going to fight Volkanovski at 243. Um, what I will say is, if they added Volkanovski to that card against Holloway, in this, it's a stadium they're doing it in, right? 60,000 60, seats. It makes That makes sense. That makes, makes more sense than Frankie Edgar getting another random title shot, okay? That makes more sense to me. They should have just left that alone and... You know, leave him after that uh, loss to Poirier for a while. Make sure everything's all all right. He's clearly concerned about it. And then fight in the October. Like, and fair play to Max Holloway. If he does this, we we aren't worthy of him. If he does this, the man is a god. You know, we're already trying to claim him as, as an Irish man because he spent two days here or whatever. So, I mean, can we be the 11th Ireland? <laughs> but um, but I... I, I that's just what I wanted to say about this. When Frankie Edgar got that title shot, everybody was like, it's going to be fine. He can do it in October. And it's like, this is a really quick turnaround again. You know, um, I'm not saying, oh, he has to be on it. It would be amazing if he was on it. But if he even does that fight, I mean, we aren't worthy of Max Holloway, man. And if, the if, he, beats, if he beats Volkanovski in Australia after Volkanovski came off that 30-27 fight over Jose Aldo, I don't know how you can't say Max Holloway isn't the greatest featherweight of all time. I think that would really... And we're back! <laughs> yeah, there you go. Every single question we have to go back. I hate this conversation and I fall into it every time. But at the UFC luncheon, someone did ask Max Holloway, like, did you want more time off after the Poirier fight? And he said he asked to fight in July. He wanted oh, to yeah. fight in July. And he said once they put out the uh because he, he he lost out on that fight against Brian Ortega International Fight Week after he fell off for those those unknown medical reasons. Uh, where he had like those concussion-like symptoms and from the weight kind of everything. So he lost out on that. He really wanted to fight in July. But he said once he saw the schedule, once they saw they were going to Edmonton in July, he's like, well, I know where I'm fighting because he's, <laughs> he declared himself the new face of Canadian MMA. That's four uh, pay-per-views or four cards he's headlined. Three of them, I believe, were pay-per-views uh, or two. I can't remember the exact number. But he's like, how many did George headline? I think George headlined like five or six pay-per-views or cards in Canada. And he's like, if I break that, Face Canadian MMA. I was like, well, I guess Hakeem Duato seemed to take issue with that, but he wanted to fight in July. He got Frankie. I think they gave that shot to Frankie because they tried to make it twice, and Frankie stayed on UFC 222 to fight Brian Ortega. So I think the UFC was just doing him a favor. Like you, you helped us. You sa helped save that card. We'll do this for you. He did uh, the same. Out. The same favor that they're doing for BJ Penn now. Yeah, I love these favors. They're great, aren't they? Uh, okay, yeah. now. <laughs> and no one's asked about BJ Penn. I'm actually surprised about that. But if I think Volkanovski should be on the Australia card, but it's it's rough. How who what fight would should he take if not Max Holloway? I mean, he's number one. He's the number. He's the, the best defender. No. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Why would you? Why would you sacrifice your position? I don't. I, I don't know why you would. But he cut like, weight too. He cut yeah. weight at UFC 240. Oh, it's so, a dangerous fight. That is a dangerous fight for Holloway. Like he is Volkanovski's an animal, and he's got the great Eugene Berman, who I, I feel yeah. like is one of the most underappreciated coaches in the whole sport at the moment. You know, I, I feel like he is a he's a live dog there in that fight. Um, but yeah, it's I yeah I I think it would be absolutely massive if they could do it. But I'd put Max's health before everything here, and I feel like I nearly feel sorry for Max because we all have friends like Max who seem like just genuinely chilled out dudes. And you see him walking into the arena during night, and everyone's like, something's terribly wrong with him. Oh, my God. And you're like, come on, man. He's just relaxed. That's, That's just the way he is. <laughs> he's walking to get into a fist fight. Of course, he <laughs> looks like he's stuff's going through your mind when you're about to go fight another human being inside of an octagon. Yeah. Uh, but he beat Frank Edgar, Frankie Edgar. Fair play to him.
I I thought I had a f I think four to one max, but it was an entertaining fight. I was a real big fan of that fight. Um, I thought it was pretty one sided. Did you? Did you have yeah. uh, 50 45? I saw that a lot. Yeah, I think I did. Um, now I know if a couple of rounds were close, maybe an early round and the late, the last round, I think, where, where like, I don't know, I can't, I can't remember perfectly. These things happen at six o'clock in the fucking morning oh, right. in Ireland. All right. I'm sorry, guys. But, uh, and then, of course, there was an eight hour risen event straight after that. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I thought it was a fairly one sided uh win to be honest and that's not taken away from frankie's a legend and even when i didn't think that was the right thing to do to give him a title shot i'm not disputing frankie's legacy he's an absolute legend but i thought it was pretty one-sided yeah it was pretty one-sided i didn't hate the match when they announced it um i think frankie edgar and i was talking with someone this it wasn't on camera anything frankie edgar seems like that fighter in the same vein as holly holm where she could come off a loss and still get a title fight just because of her history like she knocked mm -hmm. out ronda and she has these really uh, she did obviously she got knocked out by Amanda Nunes, but before that, and all of her fights have been like entertaining scraps. Like she didn't get the doors blown off her by Cyborg, and yes, she got submitted by Misha Tate, but I think she was what like three minutes away from winning that fight, and then she got caught in that submission. So she seems to be one of like both those fighters seem to be those guys, those fighters where if they get a title fight, like does it make sense on paper? No, but is anyone really going to complain that watching them fight high level fighters? Yes, me. Yeah. Matt PT Carroll bring PT Carroll bring uh like I don't know I don't bring know emotions to their knees while also matching fights for them apparently that's that's what's happening at the moment so, I tweet about these fights in Ireland and they just happen that's the way it is that's we wait we wait with we wait with uh our, our we're holding our breaths whenever PT Carroll puts together these matches because it's only a matter of time before they become reality <laughs> exactly exactly. But so does that mean that that mean that Masvidal is going to have to fight Leon Edwards now? I guess, right? I like that fight in general. I just I yeah. think they have unfinished business. I mean, they they already fought once backstage. Why not make them fight inside an octagon? Did, did they fight though, or did someone just batter like throw three digs at someone and then uh, you know an upheaval of security separate them all? Like he I mean, it's so funny. Like I mean that they 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 kind of talk about Leon being afraid of this stuff and all, and then you read this article about him like basically being involved in gangs since he's yeah. a teenager you know like i'm birmingham you don't mess around in birmingham anyone will tell you that from the Ireland in the uk don't fuck around in birmingham and that's where that man comes from <laughs> i want to go to birmingham i really do and i said that once and someone was like why and i was like oh <laughs> yeah, like, sounds cool <laughs> i was like an interesting place to go from all the stories i hear and they're like yeah you don't want to go and i was like well i'll 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 be the judge of that. But, and during that Edwards thing, like when Mizerdahl walked up with his hands behind his arms and then like three piece and so did him. And then you saw that, that, that clip of uh, Mizerdahl and Askren kind of jawing at each other in the hallway before UFC 239. And Mizerdahl is again, standing there with his hands behind his back. And someone's like, Hey, like, don't, like, like you guys fight on Saturday, right? And he goes, I'm not doing anything. My hands are behind your back. And someone goes, yeah, they were behind your back when you walked up on Edwards too. But I was like, it's a, Fair point, you know, and well, again, when he fought Askren, he came out with his hands behind his back and then kneed him in the skull. Yeah. So you never know what's going to happen. I'll, I'll watch Masvidal fight fill in the blank. I mean, he, that's a dog. Yeah, so entertaining, man. He's a huge star now. And like the one thing I will say about Ben Askren had the best answer. If you were Leon Edwards, what would you have done? I would have said I was going to press charges unless they made the fight. That was a genius. That would have been a stroke of genius. Yeah, but Leon Edwards would never do that. No, no, but I, I, I really hope that if the UFC ever have them at an event together, they have a lot of security there because we don't need another look like that to be honest over here. And they'll have security for sure, and that's a that's a headlining fight in one of these fight night cards. I want that as a five round fight for sure. And I don't know if you saw, but Wonder Boy, he was backstage at uh, UFC 240. And he did. He was Who did he? Did he beat someone up as well? Yeah, that's typical Wonder Boy stuff. Yeah, there. right. Just <laughs> the meanest. He walked up with a snarl on his face and just head kicked someone backstage and was like, "That's what's gonna happen to my next opponent." And then he just walked. Don't you want to talk shit, motherfucker? Yeah, that's Wonder Boy. Just just swearing and frowning and head kicking strangers. But in all seriousness, he said that Leon Edwards deserves the next title fight. He goes, mm -hmm. Masvidal doesn't. He said Masvidal might not be the most deserving because, like, I'm sure Wonderboy wants Masvidal to get the title because he has a win over him. Um, but he said if he was the UFC, he would really look into Leon Edwards um, getting the next title fight. And he thinks that he doesn't get fair shake because he fights so much in the UK that maybe mm -hmm. American fans just don't know enough about him. And I, I tend to agree.
I feel like the biggest thing that's playing against them is casual fans, you know? Like, they're just, like, they don't have a clue, and they're just, three pieces of soda, Leon. Yeah, yeah like, he just bet RDA, guys. Like, what What do you want the guy to do? Like, I mean, like, he's he's a elite welterweight now. Like, people that are like, huh, sure, we all know what would happen if he fought Masvidal. We already saw it. You are crazy. You are crazy. That, like, who, look, look at this guy. Look at this. Look what he did to Gunnar Nelson. And then look what he did to RDA. Look what he did to Cerrone. And you've beaten no one, Leon. What are you talking about? Shut up. You look, who, you're a joke. Who are the last few guys that beat Dos Anjos too? Kamara Usman. Colby Covington. Covington. Champions. Yeah. And then he does basically the same thing, except he keeps it standing and grinds it out. So the last two people to beat RDA went on to win championship belts. So. Yeah, I, I, I like I say about Leon Edwards being a bad, bad dude. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to be the champion, but I'm certainly wondering. That means he's probably, you know, there or thereabouts. And what is it on seven or eight fight win streak? Like, yeah, I think it's, I think at, it's some point, at some point. Yeah, he might not be the biggest draw in America, but how are you going to like if he wins again, like nine wins in a row? eight wins in a row at welterweight, which we're considering one of the deepest divisions in the UFC. If he beats Masvidal, how are you not going to put him on the shortlist if not give him a title fight? Because, yeah, it's everyone in the comments section is going to be like, oh, Tony Ferguson has like a 1,000 wins in a row. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's not fair either. He should already have a title fight, but that's because of injuries. If Masvidal, if Leon Edwards just keeps winning, I like, so I'll bring this up. I'll go back to Max Holloway. I talked to him uh, before UFC 199 when he fought Ricardo Lamas. Uh, I asked him, I go, all these people keep want, calling out Connor and calling out Habib and these Nate Diaz, like for the money fights. That was the time, the money fights. And he's, his quote was, that's not my style. Don't ask for the money fights, become the money fights. And I go, I love it. And he said, if I just keep winning, how are they going to deny me a title shot? And that's mm -hmm. exactly what he did. And now we're having conversations about Max Holloway being one of the greatest fighters of all time. He just kept winning and winning and winning and winning, got his shot, knocked out Jose Aldo, beat him again, beat Frankie Edgar. That's a wrap. So as long as Leon Edwards keeps winning, it's only a matter of time before he gets a title shot. And hey, of if Masvidal fought Leon and beat Leon, that would be the most leg legitimate win of that three-fight run. Wow. I mean, I never thought about it. I think it would. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't disagree. I think I'd like to see how he wins if he just goes out there and crumples Leon Edwards again. And like, I, I think it would be. I think that's why the like Leon's not an easy puzzle to solve. No, like I all. was talking to Gunnar Nelson about their fight, and Gunnar was like, "I have traps that I set. Like you know, and I consider myself a pretty elite jujitsu player, and a lot of people do. You know what I mean? And he was saying Leon knew what traps I was setting. He just watched everything. He was he completely consumed every fight that Gunnar Nelson had been in and knows even if it seemed in theory that he would be advancing position, he knew that if I go there, Gunnar's going to capitalize. Like Gunnar sang his praises on Eurobash a few weeks back. He was like, the guy's mind is unbelievable, you know? And then we saw that against RDA. He RDA'd RDA, you know? Yeah, he absolutely did. Like, and then dropped that, that lovely left elbow. Like, I mean, he, he's starting to have little signature things in his style that people are taking. You know, he's starting to become a... A presence to himself this is what leon does and i think that's important as well people like people you say oh he always goes to decision but what's happening in the 25 minutes is a lot more interesting than just the result to me you know yeah i mean i saw uh, something on twitter it was like a, it was like a gif of all of like leon edwards past few wins and he's landing that left elbow every time so they've dubbed him left elbow leon and yeah. i can't say I, I i disagree yeah yeah he's a good guy it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out but i do think that masvidal be reluctant to take that fight uh, I think he, he he's waiting for either, as he has already said, a McGregor, one of those huge fights, maybe a Nate Diaz or a Pettis, depending on how that goes, or, you know, the title fight. And we're going to do one really quick one because we're running up on time. All right, Frankie at 135. I'm hearing a lot of MMA media saying Frankie should move down to 135, but he doesn't. But doesn't that go against everything about MMA media are advocating, which is fighters fighting close to their natural walk-around weight in order to fight healthy? Frankie may be a small featherweight, but in one... In one of the old MMA fighting videos, he said his normal weight was 160. 135 is a big cut from 160. Might even be heavier now since that interview was many years ago. What do you guys think about 135 and how would you reconcile? Uh, I, every single media man, I, I don't want to say every single one, but a whole a lot, a big chunk of them on media asked Frankie, like, hey, is 135 out of the question? He's like, I'm, I'm focused on Max Holloway. Hey, what about Henry Cejudo 135? I'm worried about 135 hours. 
this is very reminiscent of all those title fights he had at 155 where he's like what about 145 he goes i'm the champion of 155 why would i want to drop to 145 it seems like everywhere frankie goes people are asking him to cut down and cut down and cut down and cut down if he's 160 and that's accurate still i don't want to see him cut to 135 but if he can do it healthy and he wants to do it by all means go ahead i'm never going to tell a fighter what to do with their career but if, if 160 is the thing I don't know if I want to see a depleted Frankie Edgar. We saw what happened to Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis and TJ Dillashaw, they said they could do it, and then Anthony Pettis missed weight, and he said it wrecked his body. Uh, and you saw TJ Dillashaw uh, had to turn to performance-enhancing drugs to EPO because he could feel the effects of the weight cut. So in Michael Chiesa and all the, and who is it, uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, they all moved up in weight. Like the trend now is moving up in weight, not down. Uh, yeah. So I don't want to see a depleted Frankie Edgar at 135, but that is just my opinion. Your thoughts on Frankie going to bantamweight next? Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, I, I feel like bantamweight has one of the the really thriving divisions at the moment that is full of young fighters. You know, it's full of these hungry young guys. Like, I mean, there's no easy fight for Frankie there when he goes down. And as you say, it's an extra, it's an added amount of trauma to go down there. But one thing I will say again, the, the size of these fighters is changing drastically from generation to generation. You know, Frankie Frankie doesn't look anywhere near as, as big as the guys he's fighting a further away. And that's part of the allure of Frankie, right? Like, mm -hmm. he's this little guy taking on the world, and it's he's been doing it for years. And I know he fought at 154, but he was completely missized for that division. Like, I mean, even when he was at the height of his power, he was probably, like, you know, undersized for that division. Um. You know, I, I don't think it should be something that people should be stressing him out over. I think he needs some time away to think about his next move. And I know Mark Henry's a great coach, and I really don't expect that those guys would say, right, we're all on board with this if they thought it was going to be a health risk to Frankie. But I don't think he owes anything to anyone. I think he's already solidified his name in the sport, you know, the future Hall of Famer. Um, he's a legend. Does he need to do it? No. Will he want to do it? Yes. Does it happen? I don't know. Do I want it to happen? Probably not. Yeah, I just Frankie's like I said, he's one of those fighters that's always going to be in that top five. Uh, he's I think he has the record for most like total octagon time in his mm -hmm. career because he's fought in so many five round decisions. And yeah, but those decisions are also chaotic. Like his two Gray Maynard fights, oh, yeah, obviously <laughs> to a decision. But the the Benson Henderson fights, the Jose Aldo fights, uh, he fought Charles Oliveira to a decision at three round fights. So uh, we just I, don't want to see him turn into BJ Penn. Right, because BJ has without a doubt tarnished his legacy now, and he's one of my favorite fighters of all time. But as I said earlier, it's the last thing you talk about when you're talking about BJ Penn. Now is remember that uh, Jeremy Steve, remember the the Stevenson fight. Like you know, you don't you don't think about these things immediately, and that's how we used to always think about him. And it's you know who now. you know who BJ Penn's last win was. What well, his last win? Yeah, you know who he beat. <sighs> was it Matt, Matt Hughes? It was indeed. That knockout in the first round was it? I believe so, and I don't. That was around uh, Matt Hughes's like the the down, the end of his career. I think he had maybe one fight. And the last time he didn't that. lose was against Fitch, right? That draw, or was that after? That was, was a that draw. I, I believe that was after. Um, I'm not a hundred percent on that one, but uh, we were. I was talking to Kate. It was the, it was the very next fight he fought Fitch to a draw, and so he knocked out Matt Hughes at UFC 123 in Jeez. 2010. We're uh, getting so old, man. We're getting fucking old. His last win at lightweight against and I and I Matt Hughes obviously a legend and one of the top five great like one of the top five greatest welterweights ever one of the greatest UFC champions of all time. His but again that was like on the downward trend of his career. I was talking with Casey Casey about this in Edmonton. The last real contender that BJ Penn beat was his title okay. fight when he beat Diego Sanchez. Jesus Christ! When he slashed his forehead open. That was in in my like thinking back. That was his last like win over a top contender when he was defending his belt. Because then I believe he lost to Frank Edgar next, and since then he's lost to Nick Diaz, Roy McDonald. He lost Frank Edgar again. Yair. Well, look, look, we had to pull up his record there to remember this stuff. That's not good. Like that's not what you do with legends. You should be going top of your head. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Remember that. Remember that. And look, these moments you're talking about were huge, but they are the last things that we talk about when it's BJ yeah. Penn now. That's a tarnished legacy. Like unfortunately, that's that's what it means to tarnish one's legacy. You know, when it isn't the first thing you say about them, he's one of the greatest fighters of all time. You've, yeah. That's it done. 
I don't disagree with you. It's it's I'm sure we'll talk about this one because now he's fighting Nick Lance, which I think is a harder. He lost to Clay Guida's last fight. I think Nick Lance might be a harder fight. Yeah, That's Nick Lance is no picnic, man. Like there's no fight there for BJ Penn. There's no fight there for BJ Penn. There, look, there's no way I want to see it. That's not how we should be talking about a guy that was once considered the greatest fighters of all time. And he was. Believe it or not, he was. 100%. And I I said it earlier this this episode. I still kind of put him as the greatest lightweight ever by default just because he was so dominant at the top. And I still believe he has the record for most defenses in a row. Maybe Benson Henderson has tied him. That's just goes to show you how chaotic and stacked lightweight division has been over the last few years. And Connor and Habib and those guys kind of... The, the the lightweight division was kind of stagnant for a long time. I think until Habib beat Connor this at UFC 229, because that was him successfully defending his belt. The last the last time of the undisputed lightweight championship was successfully defended was when Dos Anjos beat Cerrone. And that's when Nate Nate Diaz beat Michael Johnson. So that just goes to show you how stagnant that division has been. But we're out of time. It's eleven oh three my time. I don't even know what time it is over and over on your side. Eleven oh three, baby. The okay. only time that matters, Dublin time. You can't see me, but I'm shaking my head right now. But as always, promo time, oh, PC. I Pete, people wait, wait and wait and wait for weeks. They just want to hear you rant about something. So uh, your rants have been on point the last few times we've been on. Hit me. I don't really have anything today. Oh, I'm sorry. No. But so I'm just going to do a big advertisement for our fantastic Eurobash podcast, which is brilliant, which is the, the one stop place for all your European MMA needs. If you, if you think you're a real fan of MMA, you got to tune into the bash and find out what's going on in Europe. Crazy sheiks putting on fights, insane shit every week goes down here. This is a million miles away from your plush blockbuster events this is carnage over here and if you think i'm bad for rants you want to hear noel mcgrath he's belligerent he's drunk most of the time it doesn't even make sense so please tune into Eurobash. you can get it on mma fighting if you search mma fighting and itunes and spotify you can get Eurobash, and you can get the a side with jose young's come on what more do you want and i'm sorry i'm not pissed off about anything this week but i'm going on vacation tomorrow so it's hard to get into that rage kind of mood well, I just assume Niall is drunk all the time, whether yeah. he's on Eurobash or not. Yeah, he's got a serious problem. We probably shouldn't make light of it. No, <laughs> we, should have, we, we should have that conversation with him. <laughs> this but, is an intervention, Niall. <laughs> come on the A side. We'll, we'll have him on the A side and be like, Niall, we need to talk. <laughs> and he gets so angry as well, which kind of feeds into the, the belief that he's drunk all the time. So it's, it's a magic combination, really. Well, we love you, Niall. I haven't seen you in a while. I hopefully that changes soon. Uh, <laughs> but my my promo will be uh, a lot of people talked about UFC 240 uh, being weak or shallow and everything. I do tend to agree. It was very oddly built. Uh, the flyweight fight between Pantoja and Figueredo being on the the prelims that was amazing. Was very weird. That was that fight was awesome. I talked about that a ton on the post fight the post fight show. So if you want to hear my thoughts on that, you can hop over there. But I think. One of the 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 stars that really emerged from that, just from reading the comment sections on YouTube, was Akeem Dawadu or Akeem, Akeem Dawadu. I always, I've been told both. I'm sorry if I mispronounced the last name. I've been hearing about him even before he was in the UFC. He was a Calgary native. He was dominant World Series of Fighting. Uh, one of our our colleagues, Danny Austin, who li lives up in Calgary, covers MMA, has been Great talking point. about him forever. And then he did stumble in his first UFC debut. He lost over in London. Uh, submission, but that was SPG's fault. He was training there at the time. Blame yeah. them, John Kavanaugh. You've blood oh, on your hands. No. <laughs> well, there you go. PT found something to be upset about. But Hakeem, back to back decisions. He's looked unbelievably. He's one of the most technical strikers in the featherweight division. And then goes out there and knocks out his opponent at UFC 240. Uh, he said he felt a lot of pressure, not just to win, but to win in violent fashion. And he did. And then he comes back and sits down. He's all mad and angry. And we're like, you just won by knockout. You're probably going to get the $50,000 bon bonus. Why are you so mad? He's like, because I got punched three times. I was like, Whoa, all right. Like he was so mad at himself for allowing his opponent to touch him. And I yeah. thought that was an that was a, not a star-making performance. That really stood out in my mind. And then he took issue with Max Holloway being called the face of Canadian MMA. He's like, I'm Canadian. I should be the face of Canadian MMA. So Akeem Duato not only won by knockout, his demeanor and his attitude, I think, really resonated with the fans. I saw a lot of comments. It was like, oh, man, this guy is so critical of a head kick knockout and $50,000. Mm. 
that I can't wait to see what happens when he wins in more spectacular fashion. So Akeem Duato really, really impressed me at UFC 240. Yeah, I've interviewed him before. He is always that mean. It's uh, He has the word yeah. mean tattooed on his chest. I'm going to get friendly tattooed on mine. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Don't do that. Because but every time we're on we're on the A side, people are going to be up, bring up the two friendly people. Yeah. It's a tribute oh. to Jose's hair. <laughs> oh, no. All right. But for that's we're, we've gone a little over time. But for Jose Young's. That's Pete Carroll. He already plugged it. You can find all of his brilliant interviews on the Eurobash. Uh, I think it's one of the more unheralded podcasts in MMA. Only I think the A side is one of the more unheralded podcasts in MMA. No, oh, you do go on, Pete Carroll. <laughs> I love you, Jose. I love you and your beautiful face. <laughs> oh my god. I'll catch it from over here in the pond. But for Jose, that's PC. You can stick around. UFC, uh, bleh. UFC, youtube.com backslash MMA fighting, all that stuff. MMA and fight, fight me if you see me in the streets. I don't want any excuses. Come up and start fighting me. Even if I'm a dog or with my girlfriend, just just come and step to me and see what happens. Yeah, just go up to Pete and say, hey, are you Pizza Carol? Yeah, and then just slap me in the face. Smash your face in. Oh my gosh. Pete, so Pete is an angry, angry, angry gentleman. So uh, come find me, as Max Holloway would say. But for Jose, that's Pete. We're out.